Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 4th, the Becoming Aunt Gertie edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the father of Leo, who is three years old, and Eliza, who is seven. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 14, and a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a journalist and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I am the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 14. Today on our show, we have an uncomfortable question from a listener who's worried about leaving her kids with the stepfather who abused her. We'll also take a call from a father who is wondering how to introduce his young children to competitive games. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails, recommendations, and on Slate Plus, our producer Benjamin Frisch will tell us about an almost parenting fail of his own. First up, time for triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you have a triumph or a fail? I've got a triumph. Um, We in, I believe I talked about this in the podcast a while back. So um, just for a little background, back in 2009, holiday season 2009, our big family gift to ourselves was a Nintendo Wii with Beatles Rock Band and all of the Beatles Rock Band instruments. And we spent then with our kids the next three years basically doing nothing else when we were at home besides playing Beatles Rock Band because it was super fun. It got the kids interested in music. The game, in case you've never played it, it's beautifully designed in terms of, like, the actual musical experience. They worked with Paul McCartney when they developed it. The now-defunct company that made it, like, really knocked it out of the park with this particular rock band game in which you play fake instruments along with Beatles songs. So if you have play the guitar, you play the guitar part. The guitar part isn't in the song unless you play. There's different modes, different levels. So, like... One instrumentalist could be playing on easy and another one could be playing on expert. So it was just basically really, really fun thing for the whole family to do together. And we haven't played since 2013 or before then because we were living in another house. um, And then we moved to the house we currently live in. And during the move, we lost the disc, the Beatles rock band disc. That goes into the, you know, the Nintendo Wii. Plus, the Nintendo Wii is now, like, a decade old. So we just never really kind of, like, pulled it out of the box. And, you know, our kids had kind of aged out of that phase of gaming, of bowling and so forth. And now they're playing, like, Call of Duty and, like, these really complicated PC games. So it just sort of fell by the wayside. Um, And then I was kind of browsing um, in a thrift store (laughs) one day uh, a few weeks ago, and I found a used Beatles rock band Nintendo Wii disc, and I bought it, and I gave it, put it in Kevin's, my husband's Christmas stocking for Christmas, and so we kind of dusted it off, threw it in the thing, and voila, all of us are now, once again, playing Beatles rock band (laughs) full time. (laughs) Um, It's like this resurgence of an old friend activity that we used to do together, and it's so interesting because now that the kids are older and they really play real instruments, Henry has become like this really accomplished drummer. Teddy plays the bass in real life and sings that like we're now playing as if we're playing with other adults, which makes it a completely different game. So while we're having all these great memories of when our family first came together, because this was also around the time where Kevin and I first got together and then got married. So it's like bringing back all these fond reminiscences, but it's also 
once again proven to be like an outstanding activity for us to do together as a family. So for the last so week awesome. or so, any moment we can, we're like, you want to play a rock band? And we all run, go running downstairs to have this thing set up. Or like a kid can lure an adult away from any stupid adult thing we're doing by, by asking us to play Beatles rock band. It's like it's 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 just become like a really fun magnet in our house. And um, I don't know if you guys, if, if anybody out there used to play it and has it and hasn't played for a while, like what happened in our family. I really recommend pulling it out and giving it a try. It's one of those things that, like, it's as good as you remember it being. And um, as the years pass, I I don't think it gets worse. I think it gets better, even though at this point the graphics look a little cheesy. It doesn't really connect with the TV as well as it used to because it was a 10-year-old game. So that's our big (laughs) triumph is the resurgence uh, and reemergence of Beatles Rock Band as a driving force in our recreational lifestyle. That's really sweet. I love that. I have a holiday fail we uh we spent some of the holiday uh, at my in-laws weekend house and they we we invited some friends of ours down there um who have two kids who are good friends with our kids it's one of those families we met through the school and and when our kids were in the same class and they have like a girl who's eliza's age and a boy who is leo's age and so it all like lines up very well and we get on very well with the parents it's one of those things where you feel very fortunate to have found like a family set of friends uh, and we invited them to come down and, and stay with us. And, and so they stayed for a couple of nights and they stayed in the guest house and we stayed in the main house. Uh, and the kids really wanted to have a sleepover. So we had Eliza go sleep in the guest house with their daughter and we had their little boy come sleep in uh, the main house with us. Um, and he and Leo shared a bed and they were so excited to be sharing a bed. They thought it was so cool and they love each other and it was just great. Um, and the first night everybody just had a great time and it was this huge successful sleepover. Um, and they were all super proud, especially the younger boys were all so proud that they had had a sleepover. Uh, and so of course we did it again the next night. And then the next night first, their three-year-old boy, who was a guest in our home, managed to fall out of bed in the middle of the night. Um, and so we tried to comfort him, but of course we couldn't comfort him. And so we had to get the mom to come through the freezing cold from the guest house to pick up the boy and bundle him up and take him back to their house. And then about an hour and a half later, Eliza woke up in their house and couldn't go back to sleep and didn't have anything to read at which point she becomes the most obnoxious kid you've ever seen and insisted on coming back to our house so that she could get her book. So she wakes them up and makes them bring her back over to the place where we're staying so that she can, like, have a book to read. So basically, we invited these people down and um, we then imposed our children on them and and, uh, dropped their kid out of bed. Uh, and our kid prevented them from sleeping. um, And the whole second sleepover was a bit of a disaster. (laughs) Um, so I guess that was one triumph and one fail, but really the fail kind of ruins the triumph in a way. Um, but the kids are still now proud to have a sleepover under their belt, which, um, you know, they're three years old, so there probably won't be another one for a long time. (laughs) Carvel, what what about you? You got a triumph or a fail? I have a fail. I have a fail. And this is a Christmas, this is a Christmas fail that I, I've only realized, fully realized the magnitude of, uh, in the last few days, which is that I was really excited this Christmas because I thought I really nailed the, the gift giving Santa and I really, you know, got together and, uh, we knew what we were going to get. And my daughter wanted 
both my kids are at the age where they just want clothes. They just want various gear that's clothes. It's like they want brands. That's what they want. Okay, fine. So my daughter had a specific list that she laid out in, in, in true Georgia fashion. And so I went to execute on those things. And then my son actually initially just said he wanted money. Just give me money. I'll go buy stuff. But I was like, that's not the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas is the love that we communicate by taking time to think about what the people want. And we're going to go out and get it and spend the time. So I did all this stuff to get Ezra a whole array of like these rare streetwear brands that he knows about but doesn't have any of. And I like worked with this guy and told him my son's sizes and, you know, this guy that runs this like boutique and, okay, we're going to do it. And I go to the boutique and he sets aside stuff and we go through the whole thing and I, I pick out these brands, these shirts, and and I don't know, you know, I don't know if you know about the whole like streetwear thing. Like Supreme is the one everyone knows, but there's all these brands, and it's like the whole the less the brand is known by regular people, the more awesome it is to kids who are into <laughs> of <course. this> stuff. <laughs> so Ezra's really into these brands, you know, and so like I had, so I had to like have someone translate like what's the hot brand now and blah blah, and the stuff is always at a premium price, but I'm like, no, we're gonna do this. So I get Georgia the the hoodie that she wanted. She wanted a Thrasher hoodie, which is very popular among the youth today, as it was when I was a kid, but for different reasons now. And um and so I go to to Zoomies, which is like a local kind of like Target, but of hip stuff for preteens. Um, and the only Thrasher hoodie they have is like extra large. <laughs> and it's like Georgia could maybe pull off a large if she's going for the baggy look, but the extra large is like, and I, and I realize it's not even the right color, but I decide I'm going to get it anyway. Cause she's going to grow into it. So I'm going to grow into it. So I'm fine. So I buy it. It's all they have. I figure she'll understand. Then I go to pick up Ezra stuff and I'm going to all these boutiques. And then I'm thinking, well, he's between size wise, he's between a large and an extra large and t-shirts, but all these t-shirts are cut differently. And some hang, some are baggy, some are slim fit. So I decide to get extra large across the board because he's going to grow into it. So my plan is going to go into it. Then I go down to the shoe store and I pick out these shoes for him that are a little bit different than what he wears, but I think is the direction style-wise that he's wanting, wanting to go into because we talk a lot about style. Right now, he's really committed to Vans. He's decided that this is 2017 was the year of Vans, only wearing Vans, none of this Nike stuff, none of this Adidas stuff. He's just, he's just Vans. But then I figure he's not going to do that forever. He's going to go into something else. So I pick him out this pair of shoes that I, he and I had talked about that I knew he liked because we actually went shoe shopping in New York. Um, when we were there together and so I kind of had a sense that this is the thing's going to move into. So I buy him that and I get him this hoodie and this hat and all this stuff. And then I bring it all. And then they open it on Christmas morning and like everything is too big. Like they're just, like, they just put everything on and like, it's too big. It's too big. I can't wear this. It's too big. And I was like, but you're going to grow into it. And then I realized, but like they liked the content and Ezra actually was a Pretty appreciative of, like, he liked all the brands we picked out. All the, he's a, he was a little iffy on the shoes, but he decided he was going to keep them and all this. But it was amazing because I, re, I was sitting there on Christmas morning realizing, oh, my God, I just did, like, a total dumb parent thing, which is, like, my kids are probably looking at each other like, why does dad always buy his clothes that are two sizes too big? And my <laughs> only thing was, you guys are going to grow into it. And I realized that I'm that lame adult who just doesn't understand like children's sizes, you know, like I'm just, it just was like, a, I mean, I, I was, cause I remember this when I was a kid, I'd like my aunt Gertie would get me some like weird sweater and it would be hella big. And I'd be like, what am I going to do with this? I'm 14. Like, why is it this sweater for a 35 year old man? You know what I mean? And like, I just realized that I just did that to my kids and right. I didn't mean to, but I did. Because the um, time frame on which they're going to grow into it seems short to you and me. 
but to them right. it seems like forever. Like they might forever. grow into it in six months, and that is right. not that's not on their calendar right. at all. No one's going to be wearing this brand in six months, Dad. Don't you understand? You know, it's just like, and I was like, oh my god. So, um, so I felt I left like Christmas feeling like, oh my god, did I just pull an Aunt Gertie? Basically, you know, like an <laughs> I the Aunt Gertie of my own life. But then, <laughs> but then. Uh, when I saw them again two days later, uh, they had decided they were going to keep everything. They really liked everything. They were like, you know, like, I've decided. My, he was on the fence about this one hat, but he's like, no, I think I'm going to keep this hat. And I don't know about the shoes, but I'm going to keep them. But I think I'll wear them occasionally, but they're really cool, but they're not my style, but I like them. I'm not sure. And I realized it sort of worked out, but I was like sitting there going, oh, I thought I was going to be super cool dad. And really, I was just Aunt Gertie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question you want to hear us answer on the air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at slate.com. Want to escape into somebody else's problems for a while? Slate's Dear Prudence is the podcast for you. Every week, the hilarious and insightful Mallory Ortberg and a guest tackle real-life problems from the outrageous to the everyday. Not sure where to start? Check out the Schrodinger's Stolen Cat edition, where Prudy and a guest counsel a letter writer who may or may not have stolen their neighbor's cat. You can hear that at slate.com slash dearprudence or wherever you get your podcasts. On Slate Plus today, we are joined by our producer Benjamin Frisch to discuss his uncling fail uh, in which he was emotionally manipulated by a four-year-old. To hear that segment and another every week, and to get this and all your other Slate podcasts with no ads, sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to help support this show. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the costs of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and all your other favorite Slate shows, and of course, in return, extended ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So if you would like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go. Time, I think, to uh, take a question from a listener. This one came to us over Facebook. The questioner asked us not to use her name. Uh, It's being read by Rachel Withers. Hello, Mom and Dads. Should I discuss the abuse I went through as a child with my own children, especially since the abuser is still around? A little background. I was primarily raised by my grandparents. My mom remarried when I was nine, and she made me move in with her. Her husband was very verbally and psychologically abusive to us both, and physically abusive towards her. After seven years of walking on eggshells and living in fear, I left. Now, almost 20 years later, They have moved to my city, only a few miles down the road, in fact. I have a baby and a five-year-old. When I left at 16, I said that man would never be allowed in my house or life. But now, with there being grandchildren, they have surfaced. I love my mum, and I don't want to deny her, so I now allow them both in my house. Visits are supervised by myself and or my husband. I don't trust him, and don't think I ever will and I don't trust my mum's judgement for the abuse and neglect she made me endure. 
I don't see any signs of the abuse, but I also don't ask or involve myself. We allow our five-year-old to go and stay at my spouse's mother's for the weekend without hesitation. I fear that if my mum were to find out, she would ask to do the same. I feel I am justified to only allow supervised interaction, considering our kids' ages. Is there an age I should rethink this? How do I tell my mum she can't have the kids unsupervised? But the real question is, how do I address this with my five-year-old, that it's okay to go with Grandma Karen, but not Grandma Mary? My children know nothing of my childhood and the abuse I lived through. The kids love their Grandma Mary and Grandpa. I don't want to trash my kids' perception of their grandparents, even though I secretly cringe every time my mother's husband hugs my kids or he is called Grandpa. Thank you. Anonymous, down south. Okay, first off, uh, this is a really tough situation, and um, you have my sympathy for for what happened to you in the past and for what's happening to you now. Um, Second of all, it seems to me like you're worrying about what to tell your kids and what to tell your mother, and those are real questions, but they are maybe not the most important or the most urgent questions. and maybe the most urgent question is um, you're allowing a man who abused you to come into your house and, and play with your kids and you're doing it under supervision because you can't trust what would happen if you left him alone with them. And that seems like a, a situation that you might want to address. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that it's a, a good idea to, to let a man who you know to be a, a, an abuser of children – um, to play with your kids, even if they love him and call him grandpa, and he seems to be a different guy, and and there's no, um, and you don't actually see him doing anything terrible, and nor does your husband. I, I think too, Gabe, that this also speaks to something that we talked about a couple weeks ago about the so-called rights that um, you know parents worry that grandparents have to have access to their kids. You know, I think what this writer in her said was that now that there are grandparents in the picture, she's changed the boundaries, right? She had these really solid boundaries. She wasn't having a relationship with, you know, this set of parents for very, very good reason. But now the introduction of children makes her feel like she's somehow obligated to shift that. I don't think she is obligated to shift it. I think it's clear, though, that she wants to maintain a relationship with her mother, um, which I think is what adds complications. I do think that there's, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a whole other fraught set of, you know, issues there. But I don't think you need to worry about what you tell your kids. I mean, I think that when kids are young, it's as simple as saying, you know, you you do sometimes sleep at these grandparents' house and you sometimes don't sleep at this grandparents' house. And you can leave it at that. And then if your mom finds out and confronts you about it, say the same thing to her that you said here. You know, I didn't have a happy childhood in your house. I'm not comfortable with my kids going there. I'm sorry if that's an issue for you, but this is a parenting decision that I'm making. And just let it lie. And you'll get a lot of pushback and you'll probably get a lot of uh, feedback that you might not necessarily want, but you are not obligated to move your parenting decision lines based on what your parents want. Even if your parents were spectacular parents, you're not obligated, but you are especially not obligated if you feel like a member of your family could pose a danger, whether even if they've completely changed, even if this dynamic is no longer in place, it happened to you and it's causing you harm, 
to see these relationships between your parents who you knew to be your stepdad and to be abusive and your kids. It's, it is causing harm. And you have the absolute right to hold those lines and draw them wherever you want, not be apologetic about them, not over-explain to your kids. When they get older, if they ask specific questions, you can give them specific answers. But don't, I don't think, preemptively give them specific answers to questions that they're not yet asking. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. And uh, I, you know, I, there's there's two questions here, and it and it and it brings up a third one for me. So the two questions are: How do I tell my mom? And the other one is: How and when do I tell my kids? So I think, I think with your mom, um, you know, there you tell her the same way you told us. I mean, this is your story. You know, one of the things they always say about writing memoir is that um, if you wanted me to write better about you, you should have behaved better. <laughs> you know what I mean? That you have the right in, your, in telling your story to tell what happened truthfully, right? And so I think sometimes when we're – when something – when a person behaves badly toward us, we sometimes do feel a personal responsibility somehow to – doctor their story in our retelling so they don't look as bad as we don't want the other people to think they're bad or whatever but that's not really ours to control there you you did have this experience with this person and you can tell your mom that she if she asks why don't the kids spend the night here you can say here's why and I want to give you permission to do that to whatever extent I can because I think it's absolutely valid and right and fair of you to do. And your mother may not like that or it may make her pause and think. I don't know. There's no telling. But that's the point of it isn't to elicit a particular reaction from her. The point is that that is your story. And there should be no call to change that story for the satisfaction of another person. So the second question about how you tell your kids, um, to me, I tend to think that the same rules apply. I don't, th I don't think at five and in baby, it's necessary to explain all the details of childhood abuse. Um, but you also don't have to be responsible for letting your kids love their grandpa without knowing what kind of person he was. And I, that's that to me feels also like responsibility that you're like managing the relationship between your kids and your grandpa, like that that's a responsibility you're taking on yourself, that it actually isn't your responsibility. You can say, like Rebecca said, when they're younger, oh, that's not something that we do. And, 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 you know, sometimes we stay at grandparents' house and sometimes we don't. And, you know, we're not going to do that tonight, et cetera. And at a point at which they really press, depending on their age. And I mean, I, I have been in situations like this and depending on the age will depend on the level of detail. Uh, I will say, sometimes I'll say, um, if the kids are younger, I'll say, um, it's been, you know, I, when I was growing up, um, sometimes grandpa wasn't the nicest guy. And so, uh, that's something that we don't always, you know, that's something that, so for that reason, we hang out with them all together. Um, and I, sometimes if the kids are older, I might say something more specific because kids are ultimately going to want to know, and they're going to form their own relationships and their own understanding based on all the information this has been my experience. Like, um, I remember when I was growing up, there was this thing about my mom and my dad, they were never married and they used to shit talk each other all the time and it drove me crazy. And my, <laughs> my mom would always say, if your dad says bad things about me, then like, that's going to turn you against me. And my dad would say, if your mom says bad things, it's going to turn you against me. And like, the reality is, 
you know what? I figured out who each of them were because I spent a lot of time with each of them. <laughs> you know, in the end, I like think I got a pretty fair assessment of who they were. And it wasn't necessarily affected by what they told me about the other person. It, it revealed more about them. So that's a long-winded way of saying that I don't think you have to overmanage what your kids are going to ultimately think of their grandpa. They're going to put two and two together and, and understand him as, as the person that he actually is. Which mm-hmm. may be someone who behaved badly in the past and maybe didn't before, but the fact that he behaved badly towards children in the past, that doesn't go away. That doesn't get wiped from the record, right? So um, so I think you're well within your rights here. I, I want to go a little further, though. There, there, there's a line in the, in the message um, where the letter writer says, um, I love my mom and don't want to deny her. So now I allow them both in my house. And – at first, it seems like that follows, but it doesn't quite follow, right? You love your mom and you don't want to deny her, so let her see the grandchildren and let her come over to the house. But that doesn't mean you have to let the stepfather who abused you into your house. Right. If if that's mm. if that counts as denying your mom something, then maybe you should consider denying your mom something. Maybe you should yep. consider giving her something and also denying her something. Uh, yeah. And you should do that for your kids, but it, it sounds like you should also do that for yourself. Um, I I feel like that line, too, indicates that, you know, this questioner is still in some ways um, in this cycle. I mean, she's not participating actively in the cycle, but she still has all the feelings of somebody who is participating in the cycle. She's probably mm. afraid in some way to draw lines when it comes to her parents because she doesn't know what will happen when she's not there, when her mother then tells the stepfather, you're not allowed to go. You know, she is behaving in a way to avoid some of the behaviors and things that she witnessed growing up and in doing so is moving her parental lines in a way that mm. could be harmful. And so mm-hmm. that's where I think, you know, she may need some support in just remembering that she has the choice. She can draw the lines and it is not her responsibility to control the way her parents feel and behave um, because of parental decisions she makes for her own family. Mm, yeah. I think I think that's exactly right. And and um, if her mother asks her, how come the kids get to stay at Grandma Karen's house, but they don't get to come stay at my house? Then, like, there's an answer to that. The answer is that Grandma Karen's husband wasn't abusive to me when I was a kid. And and your husband was, and you know that, and you knew that when I left the house at sixteen, and um, and none of that has changed just because now you have grandchildren and you've popped back up to to appear in their lives. Uh, thanks a lot for your message, and um, good luck with this. It it might also help you to talk to a therapist um, because it seems like, as Rebecca said, this is uh, something that's not resolve for you and and for yourself and for your kids. Uh, it might help you to talk to someone to, to get that kind of resolution. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Uh, let's move on to our next question. This one came to us on our voicemail line. You can uh, leave us a voicemail at 424-255-7833. This question is from Jason. Hey, this is Jason's um, father, Mason, who's four, and Colton, who's two. And Mason has just rounded into the age where he likes to play a lot of games. And my question for you guys is, 
how often do you let a kid that age win? Um, it started out fun. We're now getting into competitive, which I don't know if it's more so with boys than with girls, but it's just starting to get to the point of I don't want to raise a sore winner or loser. Um, I know that he's not going to be in his 30s crying in a high-stakes poker room that it's not fair, so I understand it's, it's not the end of the world. Kids kind of have to learn these things, but just wondering how much or how little did you let your kids win in certain circumstances and when did you not um, just because there are consequences with that, you know, like we always talk about trying to avoid the meltdown, but sometimes you have to let those meltdowns happen just so they can learn a lesson. So would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> I almost never let my kids win any games. <laughs> I actually kind of a, like subscribe to that philosophy that like you, maybe you shouldn't be playing games with a five-year-old that are super easy for you to beat them. You know, there are games that are actually designed uh, to sort of level playing field. But also, you know, there are tactics you can use to like sit back on your heels a little bit and not aggressively win. Um, I don't think it's fun to good idea to be gleeful when, when you beat a kid at a game. Um, but I actually am trying to think, like, did I ever let my kids win? Like, this is why they designed, like, Candyland and Shoots and Ladders, right? It's literally about, like, rolling yeah. dice. And it's about the dice. It's not about you. And if that's what you're talking about, don't, like, fake getting a different number on the dice than you actually got. You're not actually helping um, with anything with that, I don't think. I don't know. Carville, did you did you let your kids win a game yeah, when they were little? I'm thinking about this. Like, I don't – we didn't play a lot of – yeah, I mean, there's a reason that we didn't, like, shoot craps and play, like, seven-card <laughs> stud, you know, because uh, – you know, like, Chess so with a three-year-old. Yeah, yeah, when we were little. Well, no, actually, I, that's a really good example is chess. So um, we did go through, like, a big chess phase in our house and yeah, we did yeah no i didn't yeah you're never gonna let kids win at chess because the whole point is to teach them how to play the game um and checkers as well and you know all that stuff so i don't think i ever really let them win I, but i do think i mean i think the spirit of the question is like if you constantly destroy your child at every competitive thing that, that can't be good right <laughs> and so i think <laughs> so i think that um i think that there's this feeling of um of like that's what games like Candyland and like you said shoots and ladders or so forth or, or, or whatever are for or Uno is a really big one at that because oh, Uno yeah. Uno is a really good one for that because it's it feels like strategy but it really is just luck and everyone can play once they get to the point now it, I didn't it wasn't clear to me from the letter if this guy's talking board games or like basketball in the driveway because I actually think those are different I think that board games, it's kind of every person for themselves. I think basketball in the driveway because the adult – or any physical sport, whatever it is, you know, because the adult has such an obvious physical advantage that has nothing to do with their actual worth as a human being. I think you do have to lay off on that and let your kid have the experience of like being able to get to the basket a couple of times and being able to get a shot off. You can't just like smack their shot out of the driveway every time. Like your Dikembe Mutombo, like you know what I mean. Like that's not a thing you can do. So, so I think, so I think in that sense, um, with the sports stuff, you have to you have to go easy on the thing, the physical stuff, and let them feel like you guys are in it together. But I think with the board games, um, shoots and ladders makes it so that you don't have to worry about it. And then I think there are certain card games that I just you know just you're trying to if the kid can learn to play the game, let him learn to play the game. I mean, they, they want to win, they'll figure it out. That's that's my take on that. I think there's a couple of things. The first thing is that for a younger sibling, especially, 
winning has a particular significance, right? If your experience mm. of life is that you are constantly surrounded by people who are bigger than you, who can always do everything better than you, if you're always the littlest and the slowest and the one who can't use the fork properly and whatever, yeah. it's just super frustrating. And I see this with Leo all the time. He like he loves having a big sister, but he just gets fed up with always being the little guy and he so he wants to win when there's a game he wants to win and we do it with like races like when i need them to get to the bus stop then sometimes i'll tell them okay we're having a race to the bus stop and it really works for like two weeks it really worked and then he realized that eliza would always beat him to the bus stop because she's four years older than him and he would get super mad and then he would be mad at her and say i want to win i want to win and i would try to get her to like be on my team and be like okay can you let him win this time and she'd be like no i don't want to let him win i'm <laughs> faster like, I'm than a him. child yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's your I'm, job dad. i'm seven <laughs> and if i win a race fair and square why are you trying to take away yeah, my victory exactly. my accomplishment that's from exactly me? right yes incredibly <laughs> difficult situation so we stopped doing races and now i still have the problem of getting them to the bus stop but so what i do with leo is i'll do races with him and I'll say, do you want to win? And he'll say, yeah. And so I'll let him win. And he doesn't oh, that's care smart. that I'm letting him win. It's not mm. – he, he doesn't think that it's like a fair measure of his speed running ability. He thinks <laughs> winning is a thing that you get and I am giving it to him. And so he has mm. it and that is good for him. Uh, I imagine in a year or two he will have a slightly more sophisticated version of, of those feelings <laughs> and then I'll have to deal with it. Um but it seems like basically what we're talking about is like when it comes to like not being a sore loser or a sore winner is teaching them manners, right? Like mm. kids by default are are crude and boorish and they eat in incredibly repulsive ways and they don't say please or thank you and they grab for things. And when they win, they say, I win, you suck. And when they lose, they say, wah, it's not fair. And like part of the reason you're playing these games in the first place is to teach them, no, this is how you behave when you win and this is how you behave when you lose. And you sort of model it for them and you also like refuse to indulge it when they are bullshit about it. But you've got to be a little tolerant because it's only, you know, he's only a kid and he doesn't know yet you got to sort of show him this is the right way to do it um and so you play games over and over over the course of years and they gradually get better at not being a brat about losing or not being a brat about winning yeah i i think that you know there are things that come up in games too aside from winning and losing that um also sometimes these dynamics happen like we famously had an incident on our february vacation last year we were playing trivial pursuit or something and teddy uh, mispronounced the word debut and said debut when he was answering a question or asking a question. Oh, man. <laughs> Classic stuff. No, oh, no man. pretty much every single time we, we play oh, a game, no. the, the debut yeah. thing come up, comes up and Teddy's like, shut up, everyone. I hate you all. It's never going away. Um, <laughs> no, it's never going away. Never. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I, I do think that the, the dynamics, the way you treat each other when you win or lose, I think it's okay to beat someone and then tell them that they, they played well or, like, you know, tell them how they could beat you the next time. I mean, I do think that there are ways to foster a healthy sense of competition. And if someone is just a super jerk after they lose a game or after they win a game, maybe you're playing the wrong game. I really do think you might be choosing the wrong games. And there are a huge variety of wonderful games out there for people of all ages and um, – you know, you can even the odds in all sorts of ways, asking questions that literally no one could know the answer to or that like they're just guessing questions or like Uno is a great example. So I would veer toward those games and, and not have to fake it because there's nothing more disingenuous than when an adult fakes a loss to a kid. Like, what are you teaching with that? Yeah. What are they learning? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. 
All right. Thanks, Jason, for the question. Um, good luck defeating your children in all sorts of games. <laughs> Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Time to do recommendations. Carvel, what do you recommend? Uh, I'm going to recommend a game. I'm going to recommend Bananagrams. Oh, which love is Bananagrams. A game that we have loved. And, um, you know, I think age-wise, uh, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight above, that sort of thing. Uh, it does involve spelling, but it doesn't necessarily require a tremendous amount of spelling. It's not, it's, it sort of takes the basic rules of Scrabble and dumps them down. So you don't have to have this, fa- like this um, expansive vocabulary, knowing a million obscure words in order to do well at the game. Um, and it just, it always works. Whenever we break out the bananagrams, everyone just sort of quietly sits and works in their things. And I don't know, it's just, it's just good. So I realized I hadn't recommended that. It's a, it's a steady go-to in our household, bananagrams. Okay, I got a question for you about bananagrams, yeah. though. This pertains to the previous uh, listener question. Yeah, because, yeah, 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 yeah. So my wife and I used to play. We call it anagrams. You can play it with just the tiles of a Scrabble set, but it's the same sure. game. We used to play a lot of anagrams before there were kids in the picture, and we would yeah. like, and and we got pretty good at it. Like if you play a lot, then you get pretty good. And 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 I will say that I'm pretty confident that it's going to be a while before either of my children can compete with me at bananagrams. Like, yeah. I'm sure at some point they will grow up to, you know, to school me at this game. But until they are in their late teens, I'm pretty sure I would be able to defeat them pretty reliably. So when you play, like, do you did you play when your kids were younger and did you have to hold yourself back? So that's yeah. No, I mean, it's funny that you say that because we had this experience a couple of um, I guess this was like this summer we went to this beach house and we brought one of George's friends with us and it was it was me and and then some other families and all the kids and all these kids have grown up together and then George's friend was sort of the newest person in the group and so it's, we did all the games laughing and playing swimming hot tub with all stuff and then at some point in the evening we retire and then the bananagrams come out so we're sitting there we're playing bananagrams and then George's friend it turns out it doesn't just I guess doesn't know that many words isn't just that academically she just, you know, and so she was really struggling. She like just couldn't think of words. And it made me realize how absurdly verbose everyone in our like circle is because everyone, because we just sat there, we're just making up word after word after word. Um, and that was the only time it ever dawned on me that like it could be an, uh, somewhat of a difficult experience for a kid who doesn't feel like they have the command of it. But over the course of the evening, she got it. She got it more quickly. So um, I think you sort of, uh, the, to answer your it's a long answer. To answer your question, would I, I wouldn't like go hard on my kids when they were like six, you know, but I would introduce some words that they might not have thought of so that they're learning and then later they learn. And I, I expect that my kids are going to be like, fun, run, hat, cat, door. <laughs> yeah. Like I, that's what I would expect to happen. And so, um, and so, uh, just watching them do that, you know, it wasn't like we, the, I, the other thing, so I didn't, I don't know if I let them lose or not. Cause the other thing is that we didn't take the scoring super seriously. You know, we, when they were younger, it wasn't about the pen and pad and adding up how many numbers everyone got. It was mm-hmm. just like, 
just seeing how many words you could make. And yeah. it, that was just the fun of it. We call um, that junior achievement is... in my house. When you give like a different rule for like the kids versus the adults. Yeah, there you go. It's like you, you get to play to this level. We have to play to this level. We're competing with each other. But if you hit your level, like. Yeah. And Bananagrams is a great way to do that because you can play all sorts of games with that with those letters in that banana. But, yeah. They also have now like a My First Bananagrams thing or something. It's like <laughs> Bananagrams for little kids. You know, I don't know what makes it. Because the letters are all the same. I'm not sure what makes it my first. <laughs> they use a it's simplified only three of the alphabet. five vowels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a great game. I'm going to recommend a game too. Um, we, we got uh, Eliza a Jenga set for Christmas. I had not played Jenga in a, in a long mm. time. I think since college when we were playing it inebriated, which is a fun way to play <laughs> Jenga. But um, now we play it with kids and it turns out – Jenga is a really good game for people of different ages, like for, you know, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and a mom and a dad. Um, I thought, you know, Leo is three and he's too klutzy and Jenga requires a very steady hand. It turns out Jenga is often pretty easy. Like a lot of those pieces are, if you don't know Jenga, it's a game where you build a tower out of linear, like these sort of uh, long, thin blocks, and then you have to pull out pieces from the middle of the tower and put them on the top. And when somebody takes one and takes out the wrong one and the tower falls down and everyone shouts Jenga. And what's good about it is, number one, a three-year-old, it turns out, can take out quite a lot of the pieces. And, and it, I guess it teaches him, like, hand-eye coordination or something, but it's just not too hard for his level, even though it's also fun for me. Um, but secondly, what's great is instead of, like, a moment where, like, oh, I win or you lose, the moment where, like, you pull out the wrong block and the tower falls down – and everyone shouts Jenga, and it's super fun, even if you're the three-year-old who just lost the game by knocking down the tower. He doesn't register it as a loss. He registers it as, like, the fun part where the thing falls down and we all shout Jenga. Um, so that sort of takes out some of the win-loss problems as well. Uh, Rebecca, what do you recommend? It doesn't have to be a game. It's not a game. And I'm setting myself up to be made fun of big time here, but I don't care. I'm going to recommend something you can buy at your local old man pharmacy if you have one of those, or you can buy it online at a place like Amazon. We use them in our house, and this is the perfect time of year. Sorry, Carvel, you might not be able to relate. To introduce these to your family is old-fashioned red rubber hot water bottles. We fill them with hot water before we go to bed. We put them in all of our beds. The kids adore these stupid hot water bottles. I love them. We even make one for the dog sometimes at night. But basically, you just make the tap water as hot as you can, fill the hot water bottle up, push out the water till it's at the top, put the thing on. It stays it stays warm all night. You can even buy little, like, cozy, like, fleece sweaters for your hot water bottles if you're worried about them being too hot next to your precious kid's skin. But they actually don't get super hot. The rubber is perfectly insulated if you get the old-fashioned kind. Just don't boil it. Use tap water. And um, it's a great way to get into bed on a cold night and it's like already warmed up and cozy and then everyone like uses it their own way when my one son who puts it on top of the covers one son who puts it underneath the covers we have two in our bed like i said we put one on the dog's bed and it's old-fashioned and very new hampshire but uh safer than an electric blanket and keeps you nice and cozy on a cold night and kids love them hot water bottles do it yeah. that's that's a great idea especially since it's so fucking cold these days Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate because I grew up on the East Coast, and I was a huge fan of those when I was a kid. They were like I bet your Aunt Gertie thing. had a few. <laughs> my Aunt Gertie was the queen of hot water bottles. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and that's our show. If you have a question that you want us to address, you can call us at 424-255-7833. Uh, you can like our Facebook page uh, and discuss and comment on this episode and all our other episodes. Facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. This show is produced by Benjamin Frisch for Carvel Wallace, Rebecca Lavoy, and Aunt Gertie. I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Aunt Gertie, lover. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.